Welcome to the No Fear podcast of First Presbyterian Church. My name is Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church in San Antonio, Texas, with your No Fear Word of the Day. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Bob Fuller, Senior Pastor of First Presbyterian Church of San Antonio, Texas, here with Alex Solorio and Alex Clary. That's right, one Bob, two Alexes, and 30 minutes of theology. Today, what we're going to be talking about are some of our favorite books, and, and not just our favorite books, but what we want to talk about today are our life books. And what I mean by life books are those books that at some point we read and I don't mean we just read them like you know, like it was assigned and I skimmed it and just finished the questions on the test. I mean they, that we read those books and it you know got into your head, it worked its way into your heart, and it got under your skin. I mean just these those books that really do change your life almost in the way a person does. And of course we when we're talking about authors, they are people and they communicate to us through this written medium or however it was originally delivered to us. But it's important for us especially as as believers, as theologians, as uh, as teachers and just people who walk with others in this pursuit of Christ, that we really do feed our minds. One of my my favorite professors and mentors, Dr. John Leith, used to talk about the importance of the life of the mind as service to God, just to be constantly feeding and reading. And I think it's so important that we share with some others the important books, the important works that really have shaped our lives. Um, I want to hear from from Clary and Solorio. Why why is reading an important part of your spiritual development? What I mean, what about reading kind of uh, moves you forward as a Christian and as a leader? Clary, go. Why don't you go ahead first? Yeah, I think the biggest motivation for me to read is obviously I don't know everything. Ooh, Newsflash: There, good answer. Um, oh. So, you know, I, I, I just always want to see differ, different perspectives. Um, I, I see reading as a way of, I had a professor my freshman year at CIU who said that God gave, the reason why God communicates to us through his stories and through how he has showed us is through his word is because God gave us brains and he expects mm-hmm. us to use them. If God did not give us brains and God did not give us the ability to read, he would not have his word be such a powerful part of our walks, but the Bible exists for us to apply our critical thinking to. Mm-hmm. There's different levels to that. You know, you don't need a doctorate or a seminary degree to be to be able to understand God's word, but reading is one of the best ways that God communicates with us because he has given us these he has given us these ways of understanding, of thinking critically, of comprehending. And uh, I, I just always rely on reading as a way of shaping who I am and learning that, you know, I don't have all the answers. And there are a lot of people out there who are a lot smarter and been through a lot more experiences than I have. Mm-hmm. And going back to what we talked about last week is just having that humility to sit underneath their tree of wisdom and, and listening and learning. Well, that's really, that's a really cool thought. Um, C.S. Lewis once said, and it was actually a very powerful scene in the movie about his life, Shadowlands, 
uh, at one point, one of his students, I believe it was, stole one of his books. And mm -hmm. so Lewis started really pressing him about, why did you steal the book and all this? And he finally got around to the question. I think the question was, well, why do you read? And the guy said, so I know I'm not alone. And I think, you know, just kind of the same ideas. It, when we read, it kind of shows that other people have some of these same questions. For me, what's interesting is as I read scripture and I'm wrestling with something, it's also good to know, like you alluded to earlier, that there were other people that wrestled with this, mm -hmm. and I don't have to wrestle with that alone. Absolutely. Well, let's, let's jump into it. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you all uh, who are listening kind of the idea I have here for the for our our ground rules. One is, you know, we are all men who'd love to study God's Word. And so we're going to go ahead and assume that the Bible is everybody's number one right. favorite <laughs> book. We're just going to go ahead and put that out there. I so. so I want to hear the other things, too, that, that are really uh, shaping in your life, your life books that, you know, that got, got into your head, that worked their way into your heart, and that get under your skin. So, Alex Clary, you've already started off. Go ahead and Tell us the books you brought with you, and then tell us the uh, tell us you know what's your top of the heap. What that yeah. one? So I brought two books with me. Uh, the first one that I brought was "The Problem of Pain" by C.S. Lewis. Uh, it is a great book. Obviously, C.S. Lewis mm -hmm. is one of the hallmark Christian writers of the 20th century. Uh, he has directly or indirectly shaped a lot of what we practice and we teach in his interpretation. Uh, but the problem of pain addresses one of the biggest difficulties in the Christian faith is mm -hmm. how do we reconcile a just God with an unjust world? Mm. It is what every Christian has wrestled with. It is the reason a lot of people struggle with coming to faith in Christ. And the problem of pain is C.S. Lewis's take on it. And I've read this book several times. I've gone back to it. Um, when I'm going through tough times of my own or the people I'm ministering to or I'm partnering alongside with, I see their struggles. And it is natural within us to cry out for God's justice. Mm -hmm. It is natural within us to want God's perfection to be manifested on this earth and you know release captivity, ease pain, stop oppression. And the problem of pain was very formative for me throughout my college time of learning how to reconcile those things. And it's helped me minister to students. Um, you know, as students develop and as they grow through their times in middle school and high school, they see firsthand now more than ever. We live in a broken world. Mm. And so for six days a week when they see how broken our world is and they come to church on Sunday and they hear how awesome and perfect and loving our God is, how do we make sense of those two truths together? And I think C.S. Lewis does a great job of tackling that. So that was my first one, um, and that has had a profound impact on me both professionally and personally. Uh, but without a doubt, the number one book other than, of course, Scripture, that has impacted me in a long-term basis is it's called Unlocking Your Family Patterns. It's by a four authors, Dr. Henry Cloud, Dr. John Townsend, Dave Carter, and Dr. Earl Henslin. Uh, this book is all about viewing scripture through a family psychology lens. Mm -hmm. So uh, my degree from Columbia International University is youth ministry, family, and culture. And so it was not only about ministry strategies and the biblical view of ministry, but it had a lot to do with family psychology, and developmental psychology. And one of my favorite sections of this book, it looks at the family heritage from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob through a family psychology lens. And the basis of this book and the basis of studying that is if you want to know what kind of parent you will be, 
if you want to know what kind of spouse you will be, <laughs> if you want to know what kind of brother or coworker or contributor to the church you will be, look through your family history and see what has happened in your lineage. Wow. And wow. I think one of my favorite examples is looking at Abraham's behavior and how it impacted Isaac and how Abraham's marriage to Sarah, where he abandons Sarah and calls him or calls her his sister instead of his bride, where he offers up Isaac as a tribute to the Lord, which we know God ordained, and it was a test of faith. Mm-hmm. But this book does a great job of let's look at the psychological impact of Isaac being offered because Isaac was a survivor. Right. That is trauma. And with Abraham's emotional distance from his spouse, from his child, where God told him, you need to leave the land of the Chaldeans and never return. Abraham leaves Lot. Abraham leaves Sarah. Abraham leaves Isaac once Sarah dies and starts another family. How does that impact Isaac? If you see, Isaac then abandons Rebekah and calls Rebekah his sister. Isaac then feels lost and confused when he is confused with passing on his birthright because he felt abandoned by Abraham. Then he is scared to be abandoned by his children. And it was, I took a class called Counseling Youth and Families, and I took it the semester before I got engaged to my wife, Miranda. And my professor and my mentor gave me this book, and it had a profound impact on looking back at my family history and seeing the strengths of the family that I come from, seeing the failures and the struggles of the family I come from, and how if I don't deal with those things and reconcile those things, I'll do the same thing in my marriage. I'll do the same thing as how I parent my children. And uh, I constantly go back to this book. Uh, My wife and I have looked through this book several times as a guide map of you don't know where you're going until you know where you came from. And wow. I, I recommend this to anyone who wants to be a better husband, a better father, a better contributor to their church or their community. Um, it is the subtitle here. It says finding freedom from a hurtful past. And if you look at Jesus, if you look at Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, if you look at Moses, if you look at anyone in scripture, they were all real people and real people have real families and real families are made of sinful people with struggles and failures. How do you, how do you reconcile that? How do you take that to the Lord? And so this book has had a tremendous impact on me. It's uh, how I approach a holistic view of family ministry. And I recommend it to anyone who needs to process some of the things they've been through as a child and into adulthood. Wow. Thanks, Alex. So Solorio, how about you? Yeah. So um, first one that I got was, while I was actually in seminary, a friend of mine gave it to me. It's called Letters to a Young Pastor. It's by Calvin Miller. Uh, man, this this book really does go into, uh, first of all, Calvin. Um, mm-hmm. um, Calvin Miller just being really vulnerable and very humbled in his own experiences and just really sympathizing. So that was something that we talked about earlier mm-hmm. uh, in the podcast. Of like, why do we read? Well, because we know we're not alone. That's exactly what Calvin Miller does in this book with Letters to a Young Pastor. And so I caught myself many times completely resonating with him uh, on the point of tears, being like, man, Lord, like, clearly I'm not the first young man or minister or just person in general that wants to pursue you that is wrestling with, you know, what does it mean to be faithful? What does it mean to wrestle with theology? What does it mean to... Uh, also uh, work um, cooperatively with other churches and having different opinions and all these things. And so uh, Calvin Miller does a really great job in this book 
um, just setting up a young pastor to have, first of all, like demonstrating tons of grace, but also like reminding them, hey, you are called. Like you, you're called to go into ministry, which again, like another book that would have paired off well with this is uh, the, the Call from Oz Guinness. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was very much resonated because, of course, Oz Guinness being an older an older uh, uh, author, um, you see that a lot of those uh, things of affirmations with Calvin Miller here is just affirming a young pastor. <clears throat> Second one uh, that uh, meant a great deal for me because I did not have disciplines hmm. is called The Celebration of Disciplines by Robert J. Foster. So Robert Foster wrote this book, and we Richard had, Richard Foster. Oh, my bad. Oh, my bad. Yeah, Richard Foster. Please forgive me. Um, you see, I told you I can't read. I have the, <laughs> I have the book. I have the book right here in front of my hand, staring straight Robert, at the name. Robert Foster is his brother. Right. He, he writes Harlequin romance novels. <laughs> Is that what you really read, you Alex? Know. What's it's funny a... is that I actually have a legit fraternity brother named Robert Foster. I officiated a wedding, so I don't maybe. Who he's, knows? he's really turned out he's, well. Yeah. A spiritual titan. Spiritual titan. He wrote this book. He went back in time. Anyways, forgive me. Um, so, yeah, Richard J. Foster. Richard Foster wrote this book, Celebration of Disciplines. Uh, and it just it, it completely opened my eyes into um, this is a newer copy that I have because I gave away my old one, which is like a mark of a really great mm. uh, ministers in my life, which, you know, when I had a mentor or a professor, they would literally look on their shelf and be like, this is a really good book for you, boom. And then I'd walk away from it and then realize I never gave back to them. <laughs> and, so, and so now I'm living my life and I've, I've handed away books myself and sitting there, I'm like, where's my book? And it's like, I know I gave, I, I, that's right, I gave it to that student. Mm. Mm-hmm. And it's like weird to go back to somebody and be like, hey, uh, you know that book that I knew, <laughs> I told you was going to influence your life a ton and it was really going to impact you while you, yeah, give that back. You know, like, no, nah, it's going to be good. So I have a crispy version of it right here, but my old one was from when I was in school and it has highlighter marks all over, but goes in through, again, like meditation, prayer. The, the chapter in this book on fasting is mm. phenomenal. Phenomenal. And I think for my generation, um, again, I'm a millennial, uh, fasting is not really something that we are enthusiastic or excited about. And so, uh, man, this, this book really did teach me a ton uh, because when you, when you talk about habits, you have there, there's two forms of habits, right? Habit is a coin. So you have uh, good habits, which you call disciplines. Then you have bad habits, which are called addictions. Mm-hmm. And so this oh, wow. one really does highlight what does it mean to have a really good habit, a habit in a biblical view that honors the Lord. And mm-hmm. these are things that God actually calls us to. He calls us to prayer. He calls us to meditation. He calls us to fasting. He calls us to serving. He calls us to dwelling in his word and reading. Like, how do you maximize these disciplines? Um, and so this resonated big time with me. Um, especially as an athlete too, uh, or former athlete, you know, you want to get down fundamentals in, in your life and, um, the celebration of disciplines I found for myself really helped me, uh, not just work on fundamentals, but actually really, um, engage in these gifts and disciplines that God has given us for our good. Right. Mm. So then lastly, I, I do have a fourth book wing and I'll, I'll touch on it only a little bit. But my third one, which is actually the newest one that I got, uh, is by Doug Fields. Mm, and it's mm-hmm. literally called No. <laughs> no with an exclamation point. Uh, it says, A Guide for Busy People. Because I am 100% a yes man. Hmm. If, if I have the ability to do something, 
I will do it. And I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to say yes. And I, I will, I'll do whatever I need to do to make sure I satisfy a request. But the thing is this, is that I'll never forget, before I went to this conference, uh, Mitchell Moore, one of our pastors here on staff, was telling me, uh, when you say yes to something, you are ultimately saying no to something else. Mm. Uh, but you just don't know it. You just seem like you're saying yes. And the sure. thing is that when you continue to say yes, it is a form of undisciplinedness. Because you can, you can say yes so much that it seeps into your Sabbath time, which right. is my issue. Man, I, I would um, – so for us, we have our Sabbath or our off days on Fridays and Saturdays. And regularly, regularly I would break my Sabbath – uh, and I would justify it for like, oh, it's for the sake of college students. It's for the sake of meeting with this person. It's for the sake of doing this event. Uh, it's ministry, so it's okay. Um, and then you actually start to realize uh, when the Lord uh, calls you to have a Sabbath, uh, brother, that is a command. Who do you right. think you are? Do you think God is impressed that you burn yourself out? Do you think God is in- impressed that you disobey his own word and you can justify or say virtuously, I did it for the sake of ministry? Like, who do we think we are? And mm-hmm. I'll never forget, I had that conversation with another mentor of mine, Mac Gervais, just like, grow up, like, grow up on these things. And so um, this book has been such a blessing to me because it's filled with all these great quotes and just um, just accounts and just really teaching us to say no, even in difficult moments and in, in moments where you think it might be casual, how much of a blessing it is to say, no, I, I'm going to pass off on that. You know, saying no could even give somebody else an opportunity to shine. You know, saying no, uh, if, if you don't say no, it could be a form of pride. Like you don't want to say no, but what you don't know is that in in you not saying no, you're just being prideful. Mm-hmm. You think you're being virtuous, and so uh, this book was just a tremendous impact in my life um, here recently because I've had to learn to say no. Uh, unfortunately, I did not say no to this podcast because I actually. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, so I'm I'm actually listening to the book. I'm glad this... I'm I'm glad that you said yes to us. <laughs> yeah. uh, this was this was definitely a yes, but oh man, this thing has really been teaching me. My last wing is not just one that I partake in, uh, but for a lot of young people uh, that wrestle. And and this one might take a turn serious a little bit. Uh, We have a big issue right now in our culture, in our day and age, uh, with um, wrestling with sexual struggle, sexual identity, and all these things. And so this book by Michael John uh, Cusick uh, is called Surfing for God. And it really speaks and speaks against towards uh, why young people and just not just young people either. Let me also add that to you. Not just young people, but how individuals are wrestling with pornography, mm. how it is a uh, how um, how all these things track all the way into sex trafficking and just the taking the image of God and completely like being so selfish and we don't even know that we're doing it. And so this actually just like your book, Clary, how it talks about you know, the implications of looking back on why you do what you do. This one actually asks the questions and actually challenges you on the questions. Like the reason why you do these things is because you're actually seeking power. The reason why you're seeking power is because you felt powerless before you felt powerless before because of something that happened in and through your life. And it just like really uncovers it super graciously. And so it's called surfing for God again, uh, by Michael John Cusick. If you have, 
for those that are listening, if, if you if you know somebody that is struggling with that um, or, or you have young people in your life, uh, this is such a good book. I've given it to so many of my college students, uh, and I've actually had a college Bible study with it last year where I had seven guys, and we read through it, and it is a completely powerful book um, that continues just to demonstrate to us, like, God's desire and God's will, what God has in his word, ultimately give us true satisfaction. Good, good stuff there. Um, okay, so I, I come from a really bookish family, and particularly my mom. I got my love of reading from my mom. And so, and one of the things that, that she used to joke about is I think something her dad said to her is that, that you know, books are your friends, and we almost took that very literally in the sense of you know, we never get rid of books because it's like getting rid of people, but but in some ways, you know, books books are my friends, and so I'm going to introduce you to three friends first, and then a fourth. The three friends I first want to introduce you all to are like teachers; they're very much teachers to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so the three books I want I want to introduce to you uh, that are some of my favorites are. The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, mm. which was really my introduction to theology beyond Sunday school, beyond mm. sort of campfire devotional. This this was the book that really provoked me to think more deeply about God, not just and and you know I think I. I, before that, to me, all of religion was summed up about what do you have to do to stay out of hell and get to heaven. This was the book that turned me on to the idea of actually thinking about who God is. And of course, you know, I knew who Jesus was. I believed in God, believed in, that Jesus was my Savior, but never really gave much thought to that. And um, it is just one of the best, amazing books I've ever read. Um, another one that really shaped my own mind, it was one that was given to me by a good friend, Chris uh, Scruggs. Um, when he was a seminary student, and I was a seminary student, but he used to run a ministry uh, just as a seminary student where he would give important books to us younger students. And this was one I found in my mailbox at the seminary one day, and I just happened to pick it up and take it home while I was traveling home. I was flying home, and I read the whole thing in like two airports. But it's called Proper Confidence by Leslie Newbigin. Newbegin was a longtime missionary in India and an Anglican theologian. But this book is about the intellectual approach to theology. And and it, it came to me at a time when uh, in academic, the study of academic theology, I was really being challenged. My childlike faith was really being pushed. Mm. And even professors seem to be setting up this undermining sluice of problems that would that was really starting to undermine my faith. And Newbegin came in with this powerful British intellectualism that that really did shore up my faith intellectually and gave me the tools to to really think about faith intellectually. This was kind of my my in, introduction to apologetics, defending mm-hmm. the faith. Fantastic book, Proper Confidence. This third one um, is one that I think is very well known, but really opened things up for me in my 40s. Um, so a little bit later, uh, it's Desiring God by John Piper. Mm-hmm. And I think this is the book that in a necessary way took me from the defense of my faith to the love of my faith. And you know, just talking about 
uh, his, his proposition in this is the proposition of Christian hedonism. It's called Meditations of a Christian Hedonist. And, and the whole idea of being so zealous for God that it's almost like a guilty pleasure. And, and that, that, you know, that, that God should be the, the God that we not, only, we not only worship, but that we enjoy. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he takes a twist on the old Westminster Catechism answer, and, and he says that the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. Not just that we glorify God and enjoy him forever, but we glorify God by enjoying, enjoying him. So those are my three teacher friends. Mm-hmm. But I have one friend over here who is, he is, this book is that, that good friend. This is the one that you stay up talking all night, solving the problems of the world with, that calls you on your junk, that makes you feel awesome while also pointing out that, hey, you can be better than what you are. And you've already heard me mention the the author several times in this podcast. It's by C.S. Lewis, and it's called the Screw Tape Letters. Screw Tape Letters. It is, it is, it is a work of fiction, but it's it is just so brilliant in its delivery. The whole idea behind it is that it is a a collection of letters from a senior demon named Screw Tape to his nephew, who is a junior demon in training named Wormwood. And it is all about how to mess up a Christian. And, and you know, some people just don't get that. For some people, it is just too much of a literary device. And they're like, why would you read a book about the devil and that's pro-devil? I'm like, it's not pro-devil. It's very, it's, it is so pro-gospel. But he comes at it through the back door, and it is, it is really powerful. Because what this book did... At a, in college, particularly at a time in my life when I was super self-absorbed, this book absolutely wrecked me. This is the one that got into my head because it is intellectually powerful. It got into my heart, but it also really got under my skin because it was like I suddenly realized that screw tape was my roommate. <laughs> um, and Wormwood was my roommate, and I not really my, to my real roommate. You, I'm not talking about you, um, but it really was like that. Like this demon was living with me, and he had he totally had my number because I was not a crazy wild guy, you know, kind of rebel. I was I was a very subtle rebel against God for a lot of my life. Um, to the point where I thought I was a really good Christian, but it was I was just a very nominal believer and, and a very nominal disciple. And really, it's about sanctification. It's about coming from that place of not knowing God to, to finally the glorification in, in knowing him face to face. The first time I read this book, I did not actually read this book. This was actually the first audio book I ever listened to. I, I was going through the college bookstore, and I knew I, I went there because I could buy stuff on credit there. And I found a two-tape collection of the screw tape letters narrated by, read by, John Cleese of Monty Python. <laughs> if you are at all familiar with the, with the Holy Grail, the meaning of life, the British, uh, the yeah. British comedy troupe, he read the entire book. It's all narrated from one voice, and it was John Cleese playing the part of Screwtape, which was absolutely amazing. He's always been one of my favorite comedians and actors, and 
so that grabbed me. And but God used that as a tool because interestingly, I've never seen another recording where he's done it. I've seen other recordings of the screw tape letters, but this is the only time I've ever seen it. So I think God specifically put this one and only copy in my life so that I would pay attention to it. Oh man. But he but but in this book, he begins with a really intellectual defense of logic and faith. So you see, you know, there's a theme in some of these, but then he he goes through to point out how how you know, we let pettiness drive us away from people, how we let self-absorption uh, drive us away from people. And then eventually what love really does look like, you know, how, you know, how does, how does real love compare to the, you know, to fake love? How does, how does, or to just appetite? And just, it, I, it's one of those books that I think made me more thoughtful in the sense of it made me think about God and my own life in a new way, it made me think about Christ in a new way. There are still chapters from this book that I can practically quote from memory, lines from this book that still work on me. It came to me at a time when, because I was very self-absorbed from the standpoint of hey, look at me, I'm important, this is what I want out of my life. And I was also going through an incredible amount of pain because of the recent divorce of my parents, and I just couldn't see beyond my own my own nose. And it was in this book that, that God really began to work my heart because at first it's very challenging and painful, but then by the end, you come to this glorious meeting with Christ, and it is just a it is just a redemptive journey for me. So, gentlemen, thank you so much just for for sharing your to use my mom's phrase, sharing your friends with me these books <laughs> because that's I mean the the books that you come to love really do become a part of you, and they really do help us to to share parts of ourselves that we maybe couldn't even share in any other way. And so I just want to thank you all. We would love to hear from uh, our listeners about the really important books in your life. What are the books that got into your head or that worked their way into your heart or that got under your skin? Those are books we all need to read. Those are books that we, we can share. And maybe they don't all land with the same weight with each of us. But they're going to help us to understand a little bit more about each other and and understand that we are not alone in this journey. So thanks from the one Bob and the two Alexes. Thank you for spending this time with us. And we look forward to talking to you all and sharing a conversation with you all again. During this crisis, take heart. The Lord is real. God loves you. He has the power to make a difference in your life. He has a plan and purpose for you. He has a position for you on his team and a place for you at his table.